Customers who click. It's a really exciting and interesting episode I've got for you today. My guest is Dan McGore, and we're going to be talking about building your marketing tech stack, how to use and collect data in the best possible way for your customers. And we're going to touch on why some of the new pro privacy laws around data may be not actually that helpful. Dan's the CEO of McGore.io, a marketing tech consultancy firm, and he was the head of marketing at Kissmetrics. So this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. So let's, uh, let's get him on now. Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, do you want to just introduce yourself a bit? Tell us uh, kind of your background, what you're doing at the moment, how you've got here, and then we'll get into the, the first-party data bit. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And thanks for everybody who's listening. Um, so yeah, I'm Dan McGon, the CEO founder of a company called Magal.io, and as well as another company called UTM.io. As you can tell, I have a little bit of a fetish for those .io domains. Um, but Magal.io is a marketing analytics and marketing uh, technology consulting company. So we help companies ultimately figure out how to build their marketing technology stack, their sales stack, their overall tech stack. We do a lot of work with analytics. Uh, but we have a lot of big high-profile customers and stuff like that, like King's Hawaiian Bread or Kellogg's MBA program or even Eventbrite and stuff like that uh, we've worked with. So we've done a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, and then also UTM.io is a SaaS product which helps people do campaign link management. So when you think about all those UTM links you're putting out on the internet, uh, we help make sure that those are clean, consistent, and work properly so that way you get good uh, accurate data in your analytics tool. Um, and been at this for over 20 years. So um, while I might be doing this for a long time, I'm not that old, shockingly enough. Um, but I've just seen some shit since 1998. That would be the easiest way to say it. Um, so just been around for a while doing this stuff. Yeah, awesome. Sounds good. I, I think I came across uh, the UTM product years ago. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty that, possible. I'm, I'm absolutely sure I had your, your name popping up in my inbox um, for quite a while after that. For sure. And, you know, my name is, uh, if anybody has ever signed up to Kissmetrics, right? I was the head of marketing at Kissmetrics for a good time. So a lot of people learned my name from when I was there, ran a very, very successful marketing uh, and webinar campaign there. Um, so my my name is kind of all over the internet. I've been involved with some pretty cool companies. Yeah, awesome. Um, so we want to talk about first-party data today. Um, I, I guess just to start with, do you want to explain what first-party data is, because I think first-party first and zero-party get thrown around a lot. Um, so it would just be good to get a bit of an explanation. What is the difference? What is first-party data? Why do we need it? Yeah, I mean, first-party data is the data that you own and you keep and you track about your customers or your site visitors. So being able to understand that, hey, listen, like your name is Will, your last name is Lawrenson, um, you're based in the UK, like knowing that information is your first-party data, right? So having that information is going to be really, really helpful. And the more of that first-party data that you can capture, the better off you're going to be. Because the, the, the most valuable asset that you have as a business is your data, and especially your customer data. If you don't know who your customers are, I mean, you might as well just quit, go home, do something else. So that's what first-party data is all about. Yeah. Uh, what can you use it for? How would you, like, how would you use it? Because, I mean, it's, yeah. it's obviously really important. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios that you can use first-party data for. So really, really stuff. I mean, if you if you got a free copy of my book, Build Cool Ship, right? Like it talks a lot about some different use cases you can use with this first-party data and how you can capture it. But you know, the most common thing that you see with first-party data, of course, is analytics, right? So understanding the user's behavior on your website, being able to use those behaviors to be able to uh, then cohort them based upon the things that we know about them. So we know men are going to act this way when going through our e-commerce site compared compared to women, right? That's a simple one of being able to look at the users as they go through your website and how they interact with your website. Analytics, of course, is going to be a really key component of that. And then the flip side of that is also your ability to now personalize and market to these people. So per personalization is huge. The more, the more first-party data you can capture, knowing that somebody is interested in... Um, so let's say you're an e-commerce store, right? And you have umbrellas, you have boots, you have socks, right? And that's in the men's section. Knowing that somebody viewed umbrellas, that's first-party data that you want to store. Because now moving forward, whenever it's raining outside, you want to send them an, a, an email or an advert saying, hey, listen, um, you should probably get an umbrella because it's raining outside. And we have them right now 10% off just for you. 
those are some of the things that you can really, really use with that first party data is knowing, hey, one, this is a guy. Knowing two, hey, he looked at this uh, umbrella. Uh, and then being able to mix that with third party data, which would be, of course, uh, that weather data, right, then gives you this superpower to, hey, it's raining in your area, buy an umbrella, um, and then be able to make a conversion. So that's the personalization is probably the most powerful thing that marketers think about because it's very rare that marketers are like, ooh, let me look at all the data. They're like, let me look at what I can do with the data. Uh, and that personalization is going to be what you can do with marketing, whether that's sending things at the right time, sending targeted messages or having the right segmentation, being able to show people the last product that they've used or the last product that they showed interest in, being able to put people back where they left off. There's a lot of different things that you can do with that data. I mean, the, the options are really, really endless. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, it's a really good example, the, that weather. Um, I mean, personally, I don't see it get used much, um, but that just be, might be because of my shopping behavior and, and how I sign up to things. Um, well, I think, the, you, I think that the, the one thing that you have to remember is that you don't notice it because you just don't notice it. It's actually being used against you all the time. Like many of these algorithms that are out there, even with Google, right? They know the weather in your area and they change their ad sets based upon what's going on, based upon the weather. So like the fact that you're not noticing it, it's just because you're not noticing it. It's happening whether you notice it or not. Um, and it's definitely something that's out there because these huge companies, like any of the bank advertising that you're seeing right now that are, is happening out there, a lot of these are adverts that are being changed out constantly based upon where you are, what's happening, uh, the location and things like that. So there's just a, there's a lot of superpowers there. We just don't notice it because we're just like, oh, it's marketing, right? And that's what we, what we have to remember is that we have banner blindness. As marketers, we yeah. miss it even more. So like, uh, you just might not be noticing, but it's definitely happening to you whether you want it to or not. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair point. Um, I know, yeah, I, I know I, I see a lot of ads on Instagram. Don't see, I feel like I don't see many on Facebook anymore unless it's retargeting, which I do notice. Mm. But I noticed, yeah, I just noticed far more adverts on, on Instagram than, uh, than Facebook. And it's normally based on, it does honestly feel like conversations. <laughs> I know, right? I know there's so much more that goes, goes on with it. But, you know, I've, I've moved house recently. Um, I, I got loads of adverts for um, like companies to redo your kitchen, redo your, your bedroom wardrobes, things like that. Um, I've had a few for redoing my garage, turning it into a gym. Um, that's uh, also because I have I have Googled that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, the weirdest one recently actually was Amazon. It was so specific because I think it was I think it was garden stuff. So garden, uh, like garden, like gardening tools, which I've been talking to my dad a lot recently because he's he loves his gardening, and you know he's been coming around showing me what to do with my garden because I've, I've just bought this house with a massive garden. I've got no idea what I'm doing. I've barely done any searches for gardening equipment. I don't think I've searched for anything. I have no. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have much digital profile for that. And I saw an advert for Amazon which was literally like five or six products, which were pretty much exactly what I needed. Yeah. That was like yeah. scary. Do you have accurate. an Alexa? Nope. Oh. Do you have Facebook don't have Alexa. Yeah, but don't use it. I have WhatsApp. Yeah, I don't, so think, what? I don't think I mentioned anything in WhatsApp. Well, you don't have to. That's the problem is like with Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp, once you give it permission to use your microphone, it doesn't mean you have to be using it for it to use your microphone. So that was one of the yeah, things true. that somebody had brought up to me recently that. was uh, the Facebook app doesn't track, um, but the um, Facebook Messenger app does. Yeah, I think I, um, I have heard that actually. Yeah, we actually tried to test it out once. Um, I can't remember what we were doing now. We were talking about just we, we were trying to repeat like very similar phrases again and again and like just a conversation over dinner just to see if like over the next few hours those ads would start popping up um i don't think it did but we were being quite specific with what we were asking um so yeah. it's probably just it's, it's highly likely no one was advertising for that product yeah um, but yeah so so first but first part of data is that data you've been collecting I guess, would it be fair to say, so first part of data is that the, the information that you're collecting based on what you're seeing people do, but zero party data is people telling you like explicitly, 
this is what I want. This is what I like. Mm. Or do you think there's you know, just, it, there are actually similar things, but people are just using two names? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, and you know, I, I'm not very familiar with the whole idea of zero party data, um, but I, I guess um, naturally, you know, I think that if the people are telling us information all the time, right? So like, and our job is to, at the end of the day, at least in, in my profession, my job is to harvest as much of that data as I possibly can. So if you were to use the the vernacular of like zero party data, I mean, that's like 50% of my job is how do I create more opportunities for them to tell me more that they want to know or give me that information? Um, so, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I think people are going to come up with a name for anything um, that they can to try to add more clarification. Uh, but to me, first-party data is all the data that we collect about our customers, and I'm going to keep it that simple, um, yep. just to keep my 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 mental model as easy as it can. But I will tell you this: um, we try to capture as much information as we possibly can. We ask questions, we ask polls, we add surveys. Um, we specifically set up when you go through our site so we can tag you. Uh, in specific ways, like even if you went to maga.io, right? Um, every single time you go through our website, we know every single page you go to. I mean, every website's like that, right? We we know every page you go to. But when you visit certain services, we have marketing automation set up on the back end to, to add different tags to your profile. So that way, sales knows, okay, well, you're interested in, in funnel optimization, right? Or you're interested in analytics. So when sales does their, their review, they obviously know, hey, they went to these pages. These are what they care about. They've been tagged with that. Um, at the same time, you're telling me that information because you know I'm tracking you on the website, right? There's just so that's where I would like they're they're uh, they fill out forms, they give us information. Uh, I just for the zero party data, I don't know. I'll have to look into that more later because that's new to me. Okay, fair enough. Um, so what, what what can people be doing to let me rephrase that? How can people be better at collecting this data? Yeah, so tax, how can they? So if you're setting up tags, well, you can go into the tag bit a bit, but uh, I, I guess more on the asking questions I'm quite interested in. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk about tags a bit as well, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing in regards to you, you've got to have a good marketing technology stack to be able to track your customers and then make that data useful. So like in our stereotypical stack, right, we're using a product like Segment as our customer data platform, which is doing all the tracking of what the customer is doing on our website and across all the different channels. Uh, and then we leverage that CDP to put that data into our marketing automation tool, into our CRM, and then most importantly, into our analytics uh, tool. Um, and then between those three tools, which are connected together again, we're able to then uh, make better profile files, we're able to make more, better personas, able to minutia that data so we can use it uh, later. But really, really important to get some sort of tracking on your website, whether that's through a customer data platform or just building out your analytics tool, whether that be Amplitude, Mixpanel, Google Analytics. We highly recommend a user identifiable analytics tool like Amplitude or Mixpanel because now you know who's doing it. You can build a customer profile and you can also cohort those users. So really, really important. And you can set all that up using Google Tag Manager, right? You can either hire us, hire somebody on Upwork. Um, I don't care, right? Like just get the tagging done, track those people. I will say the most important part of that though is just building out your data taxonomy. Um, it is really, really important to have a data taxonomy. So like when you call somebody by the first name that's documented in your tools, what are we going to call it when somebody signs up? Because you have events, which are the actions that people take. And then you have, in essence, what we would call identity attributes or traits um, about those people, which are going to get saved with their person record. And those are two separate things. And that's one thing in analytics that can be a little hard for people to understand is you have people right? They're people, they're humans, they have attributes about them that um, like I'm male, I'm 37, I have three kids, I live in Florida, I'm white, I'm affluent, right? Like these are all attributes about me. However, when I have actions, those are events, you have to track those separately. So, and obviously those things can be correlated, causated, all that stuff, but uh, they are tracked separately. So it is really good to learn about that stuff. Um, and I, I think, one, if you went to our website or checked out my free book, which I'll give people an, a, a chance to get a free copy later, um, you can learn a lot about how to build out taxonomy and how to build your stack. Um, so that part's really, really important. Like, how do you do the technical stuff? Um, but the, the question that you had about, like, well, how do you harvest more and more data, right? Like, how do you get them to give you more data? Um, what we really have seen a lot of successes, and I, I have a case study of this in my book, so I highly recommend people check that out. Um, 
when somebody signs up to your website as a as a lead, right? So they sign up for your newsletter or they sign up for a lead magnet or they came through that webinar or they joined this podcast and they gave you the email to download it, right? That is a unique opportunity that you have to collect more information. One, when they give you their email, okay, just ask for email. That's huge. Just ask for email, maybe their first name, but just lower the gates, lower the wall of effort that they have to get. Just get email. When they sit submit, great. You have your email, they can get their download. The next thing you do is ask them a question, right? And you can ask them anything you want. What is your title? What is what is your favorite sport, right? If you're a company that sells, going back to the umbrella example, what is the favorite color that you would like to have in your umbrella? And if you have a multi-choice question where they just have to click and it answers the question, you're going to see a really, really high conversion rate on that type of model. Where give the email, answer one question, they're done with it. You got their email, which is most important. If they don't answer the second question, you know, they don't care, right? And that's fine, but you still got your email. That is a really, really simple tactic that we've used to harvest more information about our customers. And we've changed those questions based upon where they're entering in the funnel. And that's kind of one simple example. But to take that one additional step farther, another way we deploy the same exact tactic is when we get an email from somebody, let's say they're joining our newsletter. And we'll just give an easy software one. They're joining our newsletter. Well, we send out a lot of email. Nobody wants to hear from me five times a week, right? Like nobody just wants that many emails from me in their inbox. However, once a week, they would love to get our sales newsletter, right? Or once a week, they would love to get our data newsletter, but they don't want all five of them. So what we do is we would send an email to them as soon as we get their email saying, thanks so much for joining our newsletter. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to meet us. We want to be respectful of your inbox. You get a lot of email. So to help us, we only want to send you email that you care about. We have five different things that you might care about. Sales, marketing, data, analytics, people, right? If you click on one of these buttons, we're going to better personalize your content to you. When people click on that button, you add UTM codes to it. So they go back to your website. It has those UTM codes. Every analytics tool you now have now knows what they're interested in. Your marketing automation tool now saves. Hey, they care about data. So we now just don't send them that other crappy information, right? So, um, and that's all they have to do. Just click that one link. They move on about their day. You now have a way to personalize it. And these two tactics are just ridiculously easy. But you can ask any effing question you want, right? You don't have to be like, um, super smart to think about this stuff. Think about what does the customer want? How can I help them get what they want by asking them a smart question? Do not, and this is the biggest piece of advice I give people, do not ask, what do I want to know about my customer? Because as soon as the customer smells that, they're going to be like, this guy's a fraud. I don't want to be here anymore. Do not try to answer these questions solely for your purpose. They must be focused on your customer first, build that relationship, build that rapport. And then you can continue to ask survey questions, polls, whatever you want, add that to their customer profile in the future. Yeah, completely agree. Um, but also I think if you're asking those questions, those the correct questions, you know, what does that customer want? That's gonna tell you that should tell you a lot of the information you need need anyway. Right? If you're totally just products. People mess it up all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Let's say you've got a. Let's say you're selling that newsletter, right? Uh, people have to subscribe to it, and you're you're signing people up to a trial version. And you say, well, which newsletter would you want? Which which category do you actually want to hear about? They select that one. That then allows you to follow up with some emails later, saying, or even not even extra emails, but you know, you send them the correct content, and in that content, you then say, well, now you can upgrade to get the full newsletter, but it's this topic, the topic that you've actually told us about. So that solves, by answering, by solving their problem and giving them what they want, you've solved the business problem by being able to convert that person into a customer. 100%. Are you cool if we run a quick experiment? Because I want to give people a couple examples of how they do this and even see how we do this over text message. Are you okay if I share the way to get a free copy of my book? Yeah, sure. So if yeah, and I understand that many of your listeners may not be in the United States, so I don't know how this is going to work internationally, but 
Um, if you text this number, so if you pull out your cell phone and you put in one for the United States, but 415-915-9011, I'll say the number again. So it's 415-915-9011. If you text the word MarTech, M-A-R-T-E-C-H, right? MarTech. Text the word MarTech to that number. It's going to walk you through a process to basically give us your information so I can send you a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit. And one of the things that's really, really important is as you go through this text bot system, we are constantly asking you, what's your first name? What's your last name? What's your street address? What's your zip code? Now, we're asking these questions so we can send you a free copy of my book and you can walk through that entire process and it will get you a copy, which is fantastic. Now, at the end of the day, all of that information we are harvesting and now capable of using. One, we're able to immediately profile you and tell you what country or tell what country you're in, what state you're in, what zip code you're in, and immediately be able to say, not a good fit. Like we don't do business. As an example, if you are in the same time zone as Australia or China or any of those time zones over there, we won't do business with you. It's not because we don't like you, right? It's because the time zones don't work. As an example, TikTok came to us and wanted to do a big deal and have us help them launch their advertising program. We turned the deal down because of their damn time zone. We just couldn't make it work. So we're using that information, even from that text bot, to be able to say good or bad. Now, going back to my weather example, when you give me your zip code, that gets added to a field in our marketing automation tool, which is integrated with the Weather Underground API. So if something was to be happening in your area, I could send you an email. Now, am I going to do that? Probably not because I don't have a use case, but I do now have that power. It's little things like this of constantly harvesting data and finding different ways to do it, which is going to be really helpful. And in my book, we talk about this exact example about how a company called RealThread, they use that self-profiling email in their welcome email to basically better segment their list and better convert customers so that way they weren't wasting their time. So there is a real example in the book that tells you about how do you do this progressive profiling to build more of this data and then how do you effectively use it? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, um, it's really important. It's something I've been doing a lot more recently. Um, you know, I've always, I've always tried to do it a bit. Uh, you know, asking those questions, gathering the data that we actually need to understand and personalize that customer, rather than just trying to get them uh, creating an account or signing up. So, you know, when I was at uh, a Europe Car Startup we would collect some data like what's your name, what's your email, what's your phone number, what's your postcode, because that's useful to us, but also the customer knew why they had to provide it, so they were happy to. But then we went add things like, um, you know, do you want a manual or an automatic car? Which yeah. again is it's something that the, the, the customer will want to answer because it's quite important mm -hmm. to them. Some people don't care. Some people will only drive an automatic because uh, legally they're only allowed to. Um, but it also allows the, us as a company to tailor those communications better and say, right, we have this car here, which is an automatic, or this car here, which is a manual. Um, we also know that you like, uh, you want a hatchback car, maybe mm. because you've always booked a hatchback car. So here's a hatchback car for you, and it's automatic. Um, but, it, but it was done in a way that, you know, we knew the customer would happily answer those questions because we were confident that they would understand that it was relevant to that, that purchase journey and that sign up. If we oh, started yeah. asking, um, I don't know, to be fair, even date of birth was relevant because we need to know they're, uh, they're uh, over the age of, I think it was 21 for, for that business. Um, but there, there'll, be, there'll be questions. There's always questions that you, you know, you see on a website and you're thinking, why are you even asking me this question? What is the point <laughs> of this? What, what am I going to get out of answering this question? Um, and even sometimes I, as a marketer, are like, I, I don't even understand why you want that data. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've got one client who's, they, their Clavio pop-up is converting about 10% for email. Mm -hmm. And we're asking one question on there. People are happy to answer the question because it's clearly leading them to a, to a pain point, right? Yeah. We're, we're then trying to provide them information about that. And we're trying to make it obvious that we're going to help them with that specific pain point, if they tell us what it is, mm -hmm. and I think people are just happy. To, people are happy to answer those questions. No, for sure, especially when you make them fun, right? Like we we used to have a, an analytics quiz on our website, which would help you pick the right analytics tool for your uh, your use case, right? And you would spend maybe a minute answering ten questions, um, and those ten questions would tell you what analytics tool we would recommend without meeting you uh, on your website. 
Well, that analytics quiz that we gave people, right, asked them all the information that we needed to know as well about them to understand whether they're a good fit, right? We asked, how much traffic do you have? What platforms are you on? All these different questions. Uh, And that was fun because people got a free result out of it. We didn't ask for email. We specifically chose not to ask for email because that's uh, a different way to do that. Um, But we saved all the information and then we profiled that person over time. And then in the future, when we got their their email from something else, uh, it worked out really, really well. So quizzes and polls are super, super fun. I mean, that's the reason, I mean, people have to understand when you were on Facebook five years ago, 10 years ago, right? And then you think back 10 years ago, holy crap, Facebook's been around forever. Those quizzes and those polls that you were answering on Facebook to understand what you were going to look like when you were old or whether you relate to a Chevy or a whatever, those polls were not asked for you to have fun. What they were were data harvesters who were simply making something stupid for you to do so they could capture more data. And, you know, I'll call out some political things. If you haven't seen, what is it? I can't remember the documentary on Netflix with um, The Great Hack, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, The Great Hack. If you you look at what happened with massive political campaigns, it was through Davis data harvesting of Facebook polls, right? Facebook questions like, are you, uh, which I love the political polls that come out whenever there's an election, like, are you more Democrat or are you more Republican? And you have to answer 15 questions. Did you ever look at the company that is behind that poll? And then to see that that is a front for another front for another front, which is run by this massive conglomerate of uh, the, the, the far right or far left, like, these questions and polls are out there. Just steal some, steal some um, inspiration from the political space, and don't be a uh, excuse my language. Don't be a dick like some of those people, um, and you'll have a great example to use on your your website. So, but yeah, I mean, there's a reason why those things are getting cut down dramatically by Facebook is because some of them aren't always great. Don't be the bad guy, right? Do good. Um, but po- people love answering polls. They love answering quiz. They love getting an outcome. It's like winning the. It's like going to Vegas, right? I'm going to keep putting money in that slot machine until it has a jackpot. That um, spontaneous part is what people live in their life. There's, there's obviously major drivers you have in psychology, but there's two things that the human brain definitely likes. It likes consistency, and it likes spontaneity. So like when you have something all all of a sudden, which is like spontaneous and surprising and can give me a fun outcome, our brain gravitates to it because we're like, ah, my life sucks, right? So like provide those unique opportunities and people will do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's hundreds of quizzes out there. You always see them like, you know, even stuff like uh, what house would you be in Harry Potter? Or, you know, in fact, there's, there's loads of like movie stuff. They'll always be like, what house are you? Are you... You know, are you going to be, would you be a Jedi or a Sith in Star Wars? Yeah. Or, you know, try, moving through all these different uh, fancy worlds and sci-fi things, but ask, getting you to answer like 15, 20 questions and it's literally just profiling. Um, oh, yeah. What's, what's interesting though is um, I, I see quite a lot of companies like, um, I see dog food companies doing it, right? So they will ask you, they will get you to answer questions to profile your dog, right? Which, which is great because it, the, the, the purpose is then to end up saying, we think this is the perfect uh, food for your dog. This is what we recommend. This is how much we recommend feeding your dog. And you sit there going, okay, cool, I'll buy it because based on the, the questions I've answered, you're telling me this is, this is the right thing to keep my dog healthy. You don't see that as much for human food, right? Mm. Delivery don't do it. Just Eat don't do it. Uber Eats don't do it. Even like I've not seen HelloFresh do it, Gusto do it. Right? They might ask one or two questions, like how many people are you feeding? And sometimes, sometimes you might get asked, do you, are you pescatarian, vegan, dairy-free? And other times it's literally just a filter in the menu section. But they mm. don't like, they don't take you through this journey of, right, here's the perfect menu for you, which would be so much better. No, uh, I actually worked with a meal delivery service years ago, uh, a vegan one. And that was part of our journey was trying to understand who the customer was. Uh, We worked with a a company called Forks Over Knives, a really famous uh, documentary about going vegan and how meat causes all these issues. Uh, And their problem was they had like uh, a lot of different products. They had a meal planning service, a meal delivery service. They had an online cooking school. They had food they can deliver. So when somebody came into the funnel, we had to understand where were they at in their vegan journey, 
to know which product to sell them. So we did a quiz that helped us understand them, but they would answer the question like, oh, I'm vegan, vegan curious, or I'm vegan and struggling, or I'm failing at being a vegan, or I'm fully vegan. Um, and we would change all of our marketing for that. Uh, and I think that's really, really helpful. And I think the interesting thing, going back to your thing about the polls, right, is a lot of these things that you see for these polls and stuff like that, especially when they're on Facebook, Sometimes these are the data enrichment companies, right? The third party vendors that sell me data, right? About these people. Um, it's just them trying to capture more and more data. Um, because at the end of the world, you have to realize the reason why Facebook is a hundred billion dollar company is not because it has the best newsfeed. It's not because it has the Facebook messenger app that allows you to swiftly communicate. It's not because they own Instagram and the prettiest pictures and they have the, the lowest um, data rate of image upload. It's because they have all of your fucking personal data. It's a hundred billion dollar company because of that, right? And people miss that that bit is that Google is not um, a multiple hundred billion dollar company because um, they have the fastest response time in search or they have the best email. No, it's because they have all of your data and they can use that to make better predictions about how you're going to behave and how they can serve you better ads or better marketing to get you to buy something. I mean, that's what it all comes down to is they can help make you buy stuff. And, you know, that's a human nature. You know, the, the, I came out the four drivers of humans, right? We have four primary needs. And one of the needs that we have is to acquire. Um, that was millions of years of evolution. It's not going to stop now, right? We're not going to stop acquiring things in the last hundred years. Like, and I think people are very short-sighted about all this stuff. When you think about what a human is, we've been millions of years of evolution to get here. When we think back, about humans in general. In most cases, we think back to what we can recognize, the past century. And we relate everything to what has happened in the last hundred years, right? However, when you wanna understand how to make somebody do something, think about how we got here. Think about the millions of years of evolution. Get down to those primary drivers. Why are men the ones who wanna fix everything? Why are women the ones that wanna talk about everything? Well, it's because the millions of years of evolution caused that to come true. So like, when you think about your data, if you can match your data to those inherent drivers that we all have, those psychology things that we're all going to fall into, it makes it just a lot easier to get people to buy shit, even shit that they don't need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are, just I, I guess on the flip side of what we've been talking about, what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see when companies are trying to collect this data? Uh, well, you know, I don't, I have, a, I have a, it's super, super funny. I have a webinar called, uh, personalization is great until it gets creepy or something like that. Uh, really, really good webinar. I have another text bot that you can text creepy to, and it will take, it will show you all the stuff on the internet. No, I don't necessarily think there's definitely a lot of mistakes in regards to the way that you can ask a question to make somebody feel uncomfortable. But I think more of the outcome mistakes that we have seen are the actions we do once we have that data. Um, and the most, the, the most famous example out there was something that happened about 10, 12 years ago from Target. Target is able to predict with 83% accuracy that you are pregnant, right? By just your shopping behavior, right? And able to know that. Well, they sent a um, direct mail flyer to a 16-year-old girl in the United States uh, giving her coupons for her baby stuff. Her dad went berserk on Target, called them, freaked out, did things on social media. Um, and, you know, Target were really, really sorry. We apologize, all that stuff. So then two days later, the father is now on TV apologizing to Target. It had blown up into this crazy mess saying, you know, uh, my daughter is pregnant and I have things in my house that I need to find out about. Now, this isn't Target's fault, but it is. They predicted that somebody was pregnant based upon their browsing history and based upon what they were doing, based upon their loyalty shopping, where they are in the store. And then they sent a mailer out that had that. Um, that is where these big mistakes happen. Um, I've seen that Target did that. Pinterest um, sent people congratulations on your wedding because they were pinning wedding dresses and they weren't getting married. They just liked the dress. So they had a big upstorm about that. Um, the one with, I think it was um, Flickr, uh, was sending emails, congratulations on your pregnancy or congratulations on your new baby because they were uploading pictures of babies. And there was a huge thing, like people posted on social media, I just went through a miscarriage and you send me congratulations on your pregnancy. Like bad, bad thing. So I think a lot of it has to do more with the outcomes that we create or the um, we create these correlations on the data and we're like, oh, well, 
um, these, these seven things, well, it must be that outcome. And then we do some marketing and we're totally wrong. Um, that's really where I see the bigger mistakes happening. But at the same time, if you ask somebody for their social security number and you're trying to sell them socks, right? Obviously you're making a stupid mistake. Um, so, but, you know, I think just people ask for too much at one time would be the biggest mistake that we see when it comes down to collecting really, really small micro commitments in data make for a large impact. And you should be asking a lot of questions over a long period of time. You should not have a 16 page sign up flow, right? Ask for really, really simple questions over a longer period of time and people become more comfortable and you actually will see better conversions through micro commitments or micro conversions. And you will, if you try to do it all at once. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's uh, knowing where to like draw the line a little bit, I suppose as well, you know, knowing that you, you can collect this data and act on it, but should you? Yeah. Um, or is that, is that just going to come across a little bit too, too personalized yeah. and, uh, and potentially get into that, um, that risky, uh, risky territory? It gets dicey out there. It gets dicey. Um, yeah. Do you have any uh, pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Uh, what, what annoys you? Well, what annoys me? Well, I don't, I don't think I'm uh, the... I'm so sick of email and spam. That would be for sure. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I think people send too much email and they don't make sure it's valuable enough. I think that's definitely um, a really, really big one. People are like, I hate companies that like send out a newsletter to send out a newsletter, right? Like every month we send out a newsletter, right? Uh, And I, in the past, you know, when I did run a, excuse me, an education company where we had to send out newsletters to make people aware of new content, we made sure that 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 newsletter was personalized to them. So I think, I think making my biggest pet peeve is just sending me shit that I don't care about or adding me to your list, thinking I'm going to stick around. Um, I unsubscribe from probably 10 different email newsletters a day, um, which is really, really pathetic. I just get, so that's probably my biggest frustration in marketing right now. And you know, the, the, honestly, and this might not be, this might not, might not sound, sound great. I'm honestly in the whole advertising and marketing thing. I'm sick of hearing about privacy. Um, I think it is a conflated and bloated topic that a lot of people are, um, you know, I, your privacy went away many, many years ago. Um, and, you know, it's not coming back. And we can fight about all these GDPR laws, and I get it. Um, like, I support the ability to have privacy, but the constant, like, this uh, fighting of Google and Facebook and Apple about privacy, you know, really, it's just a pissing match about who has more control of the data. And it has nothing to do with your actual privacy. And I I think that when you talk about my pet peeve of marketing, you I think you just touched on something. You know, I'm really fed up with Apple's marketing around privacy, because they're not doing it for the customer. That is the bullshit lie they want you to know. They're doing it so they can maintain their competitive advantage on data over Google and Facebook. Who knows the most about you? Out of every single person on the web or every single company, the phone knows the most about you. It knows every call, every text, every single thing you do, Apple has. Everything you do on Facebook, Apple has. And, Everything you do and, on Google, Apple has. Why are and, we and the ones saying 24-7 geo-monitoring? Yeah. Yeah. Why are we the ones saying that Apple's the good guy? No, they're trying to kick Facebook in the mouth to say, you can't step on our territory and we're going to make you look bad so we can maintain our dominance and continue to do our thing. And yeah. I think that right now, the privacy thing to me is just a pissing match. I have to say, I, I, did, I do like that Apple advert. You know, where the guy's being followed around by loads of people. And then when he... Yeah. I don't know if he downloads the update or whatever he does right at the end and then all those people disappear. I threw, it's a really, really good advert, but I get your point. I haven't like, seen this. They're, they're not doing it for the customer. It's exactly yeah. what you say. They're, they're doing it to to push push Facebook and Google out and say, well, yeah. you know, we're the people who should have this data. Um, yeah, ch- check it out on YouTube. It, it'll be on there. Just the, the Apple, either Apple iOS 14 update or Apple privacy advert, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a pretty it's, decent advert. I think I, you know, that's why I love marketing, man. We can make you think anything we want. We just have to come up with the right message and the right story to make you think that. And that's, um, 
you know, when I, I worked at a company called CodeSchool.com, we were an online education company for developers. And I was the first hire at the company as it spun off its parent company. And I was the first business marketing guy. And I'm definitely a marketer. You know, the 10 engineers that worked for that company hated me because I was a marketer because my job is to manipulate and coerce you. That is what their their theology was. And that's all I was trying to do. And, you know, I had never looked at marketing in that lens before. But at the end of the day, that's 100% what marketing is, right? And that's at the, the level of what, like, I luckily get to play at. Our job is to compare psychology, compare what we have about your behavior, compare what we have about your data, and then figure out the best way to manipulate you into buying something. Now, what is the definition of ethical compared to non-ethical? I mean, the, I think the, the question is still out there. That goes back to your privacy question. Um, but I think it, it's, it's really, really difficult because that ad that you saw, you were we're now, hey, that's a really good way of explaining that story. However, right, you have Target there, right? You have, what is it, ESCO there, right? You walk into that store, you're on 42 Bluetooth um, towers, right? As you walk through the store, your EMAI number from your phone is grabbed. You're on video, which is tracking you. You're being socially profiled, demographically profiled. You're, when you leave the store, they know the sentiment on your face, whether you had a good experience or a bad experience. Where I tell people like you, your privacy was gone a long time ago. It's because it's all connected now. So Facebook, or excuse me, um, Apple's ad, while true, it gets rid of those trackers. What is the goal of those people? I have an entourage. When I travel, I have an entourage of people that are there to support me, take care of me, and make sure I get what I need. Their focus is on supplying me with benefits. And that's why I travel with an entourage. When I think about the tracking that Apple is showing you, those people that were walking around with you, those are your entourage or people that are trying to figure out how do I best support you? How do I best take care of you? How do I best show you ads that are beneficial? So it's like saying, hey, listen, fuck my entourage, which is many, many of people in my entourage are my family. Um, and I just, I struggle with that dichotomy because I just think it's an unfair thing. And I, I just don't think people have enough understanding about how bad the data game is to understand what face or what Apple is doing is really like 5%, 2% of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one about, um, about the supermarket Tesco. Um, They've actually changed their their club card program probably a year ago. I think I noticed it. Previously, what would happen is you'd you'd do shopping, you'd scan your club card to get points, and then every now and again you get sent a booklet of vouchers. Hmm. What they've started doing now is you actually get discounts in the store on products immediately for scanning your card. So it literally mm -hmm. says the price of this product is five pounds, four pounds for club card members. Right? Love it. So what I believe has happened there is they want more data. They've realized that the way to get more data is to encourage people to give that immediate benefit and incentive on the spot to get you to scan your club card. And that probably what was happening was a lot of people weren't scanning their club cards because they weren't seeing that benefit. You know, that leaflet comes through every quarter or whatever, and they just forget about it. Whereas once a week, that person's seeing that benefit of that card now, and Tesco's collecting that data. And Tesco's killing it. And, you know, one of the things I, I and I talk about this, I, seriously, I got to make sure you see this creepy personalization talk. Um, Tesco, have you ever gone through their automated checkout, right, where you don't have to talk to a person? Do they have that at, at, at Tesco's there? That, yeah, that has a camera. Yeah. yeah, that has a camera on it. It knows who you are. When you put your credit card in there, it has your first name, it has your last name, it associates that with a facial profile, which can then be pinged off of Facebook, off of the facial graph. There's plenty of facial recognitions. That credit card as well, whatever your bank is, also sells all that data, right? So like, while we're protecting ourselves, GDPR is obviously a little bit bigger than just the internet, right? Which is fantastic. And I love the concept of it. And it's really, really helpful. Um, and I think we need better regulations around it. But there's just so much backdoor data that we don't even know about um, that just happens by swiping your credit card, right? Every time you swipe your credit card, you authorize Visa to know every single purchase, every single item you purchased. And then Visa has the ability to anonymize that data and sell it to somebody else. So when we get crazy about our phone, we have to remember our credit cards are tracking every single thing we do, our computers, our phones, like 
there's just a lot more ways that tracking is happening. And I think um, Apple makes a great point. But did you know your debit card is selling all of your information too? with your first name, with your last name, while mapping it to an email and a social security number. Um, like Experian, the credit card, one of the credit card bureaus where we get our credit reports, they sell all of your data. Like what? Like I didn't know that. And then I had to do a big data enrichment study uh, three years ago. And I had to dig into, come to find out like the profiling they were able to do on my wife just by getting her email. I was like, holy crap. I didn't know they sold all that data. Um, so either way, I just, you know, I think private, what we have to realize is that our privacy is gone. Um, it's more about how do I put the right version of me out there? Um, and if I do want to have something controlled or hidden, um, maybe you should reconsider whatever you're doing. Don't have an affair, right? Like do the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, there are a few apps I've opted out of, uh, of data collection and a few I've, I've stayed opted in, you know, uh, I guess because I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not too knowledgeable about that side of things, data collection, attribution, all that, because it's not my area that I focus on. But um, my view is, if it's going to give me personalized adverts and it's going to be more relevant to me, I'm, I'm happy to share the data. Right? Yeah. There's, there's not a lot out there that scares me right, about my data collection because. Mm. Pretty sure there's nothing. Pretty, pretty sure there's nothing out there that I <laughs> that I'd be uh, worried about. But yeah, if it's going to give me a better experience, otherwise, if I'm just going to get shitty adverts, it's just going to put me off using Facebook and Instagram. It's That's the what, worst thing. And but... no, I, I work uh, specifically with companies all the time that are trying to track more data, and I've I've been very fortunate to work with some of the biggest, right, um, and some of the smallest. And I've also been fortunate to work for the companies that like we're canceling your contract because you're slimy. Um, at the end of the day, 99.9% of all the people that are trying to capture or harvest data, they have good intentions with it. And the whole thing is about creating a better experience for you. It's the people that you see like Cambridge Analytica, right? Who was behind Brex, Brexit and like Trump and all that stuff that were doing data harvesting through polls and stuff like that, that were doing it incorrectly. And that was through all the things that you see on Facebook polls and quizzes, which Facebook really put the kibosh on because they, they realized it. Um, so, you know, in most cases, I just think people are overreacting when there's not something to react about. I do find it creepy. I will completely agree. I do find it creepy the fact that I was talking about wealth management with one of my financial advisors, um, which I already have a financial advisor. I'm all good there. And, you know, I have not been doing any searching about this stuff, but I am now seeing ads about fin additional financial planners. I'm getting LinkedIn messages from these financial planners. Um, but it, the data's out there. Like the fact that they can listen to me, uh, that's still, that is a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but like you said, the, the companies are trying to do it right. Yeah, are, are trying to do it right. It's why I'm, I'm not a big fan of GDPR. Um, I don't mm -hmm. think it's, I don't think it's the right solution because I think it's, it's, it's scared a lot of the, the good players, especially smaller ones who, who, don't have the resources to hire a lawyer to fully investigate it. So it's scared a lot of these people and it's made their businesses less efficient, but the scammers yeah. are still harvesting email, uh, buying lists and, and doing whatever they want. You know, I don't feel like I've seen any impact on my inbox from, from GDPR. Um, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, it, and, yeah, and this, I, we're having the same problem in the states because we don't have a consistent law. We have different states have different laws. So you have California doing one thing, you yeah. have Las Vegas doing another thing, or I should say Nevada. Um, so it gets really, really difficult. And at the end of the day, when you think about these privacy wars right now, the biggest thing that's being talked about with privacy outside of what's going on with Apple is cookies. The number one person yep. who's going to pay the price when we get rid of cookies is not me. It's not the big businesses. It's not the medium businesses because they're going to have the budget to be able to pay me to come in and solve the problem and convert their third-party cookies into first-party cookies and make it so that they can get all the same data they wanted. They just have a different technology schema. The small businesses, the people who really are dependent upon this and don't know any better are the ones that get punished. And I really wish that um, small businesses had a better way to push back on this legislation, but they just don't have the dollars to contribute like the big tech funds do 
Because going back to the Apple thing, once again, we don't understand that getting rid of the cookie has much, much more to do with the fact that Google wants a better way to track you that nobody else can do, but only they can. So they can further entrench themselves in their, their market niche. Cookies going away is not that helpful as you might think it is. But, you know, the consumers have been told a story, just like we were told that meat was good for us, just like we were told we should drink milk every single day, um, just like we were told we should drive cars everywhere. These things are all pushed on us by a corporation that has a goal, has a mission, tells us a story, we believe it, we're lied by some study, and then we do it. And, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately, the typically the individual consumer who doesn't know better or the small businesses are the ones that really pay the price. Uh, and I think it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, no, completely agree, I think. And we yeah, took a really totally left turn about, here. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it's a very, very, very valid point that the ones who are going to suffer are the smaller businesses who can't afford to fix the problem when it changes. Anybody listening, if you pay me $10,000, right, as a company... We can help you move from third-party cookie tracking to first-party cookie tracking. You don't even have to worry about ad blockers anymore, right? Like we can make it so that ad blockers can't stop anything you do nowadays. For $10,000, can you tell me the, the small business down the street, the little bakery, are they going to spend $10,000 for me to come in and just fix that one problem? No. Um, but if I go talk to a large corporation, they'd be like, that's a that, that doesn't matter. Just fix that one problem. And that's where I get really frustrated about yeah. the matter because I want to help more people, but I've got to, at the same time, I've got to run a business and be profitable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Oh, well, this has been great stuff. Really, really interesting. Uh, yeah. First party data, um, particularly around collecting, using it um, and link it up with that third party data, like you mentioned with the, the weather and stuff. Um, if people want to find out more information or get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, the best place to go is to magav.io. So M-C-G-A-W.io. There's no R in my name. Uh, and check me out on LinkedIn. I'm most active on LinkedIn. Just Dan McGon there. You'll see me. I've got a pretty face. Um, definitely check that out. And I highly recommend get a copy of my book. It's free. Uh, it's $22 if you bought it. Uh, but we give it away for free whenever we do these shows and stuff like that. Um, so definitely recommend people check that out as well. And you can get that on my website as well. magav.io. There's a banner on our site to get a free copy of my book. Cool. And they can get it through the, the text message, right? Yeah. So try it out. Uh, 415 Yeah. Get that 901. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll get that in the show notes. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, it's all written down. I might have to test that out just to see, just see what you're doing there. Yeah, no, it's super, super fun. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope everybody had a fun time like I did. So data is key, but the way you capture that data is really important. If customers think you're just trying to harvest their data and are making really unreasonable requests of them, they'll disappear. At best, they'll just ignore the request. At worst, they're going to hit the unsubscribe button and tell their friends they thought it was weird or Brad was asking for all this information. Careful, progressive data capture is really important. Although I know some of you will argue that if you're relying on email, you're going to lose out in a huge amount of that data anyway. I'm not suggesting you do wait until you've got the email address to ask any additional questions, but when you do, you make sure the questions are relevant and you're also tying in other data sources as well. You may not need someone to explicitly tell you what country they live in, for example, and you might be able to infer that there are multiple people in their household through some of the other behavior they take, but obviously just make sure that you really think about how you're going to use this information. If you'd like to hear more from Dan, you find him on LinkedIn. I'd recommend getting his book. It's on his website and test out their progressive profiling SMS experience. Uh, you'll uh, be able to find all those details in the show notes on the Customers Who Click website. If you do have any podcast related questions, do let me know by tweeting at Will Lawrenson. And if you don't, please leave a review and a rating on the podcast. It really does help. Next up, I've got Jeremy Gillespie with me. We're going to be talking about how to approach YouTube advertising. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>